if your kid is talking to you about something, put the phone down, put it away. You hear cats in the cradle playing over and over in your head when you realize that's going to end one day. If you're not present in those conversations, the kids are finally going to be like, you know what? Screw you. Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. Welcome back to the Wayfinder Show. Adam, how you feeling, man? I'm great, man. How about you? I'm doing all right. You know, I got to know. So what, uh, well, first of all, I got to tell you, I started, I'm on day two of uh, 75 hard. Yeah. And day one was really hard. My <laughs> my whole schedule got so chaotic. It was all thrown off. I thought it's no big deal. I already do at least one workout, the morning run, all that. It's all good. And, you know, a little bit of reading, uh, uh, Man, it threw everything off. My whole day yeah. was just chaos, absolute it, chaos, but it was it good. Just took me about a week to kind of get into the swing of things when I did that. And I think I told you I broke my toe on day two. So that just oh, shit. screwed up my whole like <laughs> idea that I was going to run every day. But yeah, it's all good, man. Good on you. It's a, yeah. it's a fun experience. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. so tell us about uh, today's guest. Yeah, really excited for this one. Uh, today we got Dennis Meralda on here who has a great podcast called Building Men that I've been listening to for a couple of years now. Um, Dennis is from New Jersey. He's a, a former teacher, a former coach, former school principal, and like a founder and CEO of Building Men. And like I said, it has a great podcast. So I'm really looking forward to diving into all that with Dennis today. Dennis, welcome to the show, man. Adam, what's up, brother? How's it going? Thanks for having me. Louie, good to see you. Yeah, good yeah. to see you too. Welcome. Congrats to the show, on the seventy five hard too, man. That's that's a big deal. It's like the first, the first step is always the hardest. Thank. Well, Adam just finished it. it last week, and we had a great show recapping that. Yeah. I can't so, see your other than your face, Adam, but you have like a chiseled look to you. I could just, I yeah. could tell you have a, a chiseled physique just by your face. Well, yeah. I, like you said, I did just finish seventy five hard, yeah. so I definitely got a little more chiseled. Yeah. Uh, you know, in these last. What was the hardest part so. for you? What was the what was the hardest thing for you, Adam? Um, well, like anything else, I think the hardest part is just getting started kind of like yeah. you just alluded to, right? Like actually like, oh, I'm going to do it and, and trying to overcome the limiting beliefs of, oh, am I not going to be able to have a beer for 75 days? Am I not am I going to actually be able to stick to my diet for 75 days? And then, but honestly, after getting into it, it's, it's the, the bathroom breaks. You got to drink a gallon of water and <laughs> drinking the gallon wasn't hard, but making sure I was able to, you know, take a piss as, as often as I needed to, honestly, was like the the hardest part for me is juggling like, ah, oh, I got to drive for an hour. I better stop drinking water now and, and just juggling all that. I've heard a couple of people say that it was, they missed it because of the progress picture. Oh, and you yeah. have to take the picture every single day. And the guy got to like day 48 and he didn't take the picture. And I was like, oh, man, come on, you could keep yeah. going with it. He's like, no, I got it. Like I got to do like, I got to live by it. I didn't take the picture. Yeah. I, so I got to start again at, at day one. I don't know yeah. if it was just a glutton for punishment that the guy just liked that, you know, I'm going to go through that difficult thing. 
Uh, but congratulations, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, for anybody that wants to, I, there's an app now, and that reminded me of everything. You just go through the app yeah. every day and click like, boom, progress pick taken. You know, first workout done, second workout done, page is read, and so it's just easy to remind yourself. You know, did did I do that or did I not do that? But right. but yeah, thank you, man. It was good. Yeah. It was a good experience. So Dennis, um, let's start off by sharing a little bit about your background with the listener. And then I'd love to get more into what you're doing now with building men. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, well, I guess I'll, I'll go back to the, the origin story of it. Yeah. And it's funny. I just did a, a workshop yesterday in a school in my hometown in Bordentown right now with the seventh and eighth grade boys in the school. So there were about 60 boys that I did a workshop with and I was able to walk them through the origin story of building men. And so it's the, it started when my son was six months old and, um, and now he's 18 and he co-facilitated the meeting with me yesterday. So I had a moment where I got really choked wow. up thinking about him when I started it. And now he's sitting next to me leading a group of, of kids. It was a really cool experience for me. And, and, it, and I shared the origin story of building men with the, the boys there. And I took it back to my years in college when I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, you know, I had an idea. I think I went into college for marketing and business management and switched my major after two years to education. And so I did uh, education as my major and I did a coordinate major of sociology. And I switched my major because I wanted to coach. I really, I, I went up coaching my younger brother's t-ball team. So I'm 14 years older than my brother, Anthony. He's a co-host on the podcast from time to time. And I was coaching his t-ball team. I'm 19. He's five years old. I'm in college. And I, I loved it. I absolutely loved coaching, uh, playing baseball in college. I decided, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go down this route. I'm going to teach. I'm going to coach. I love working with kids in that capacity. So I switched my major and the sociology portion of the major. I didn't recognize how much of an impact that would have on me. Right. So sociology is basically the study of social groups. You know, we think about psychology and how that works in our brain and, you know, internally, but then I really got fascinated with social dynamics and how kids especially interact within social groups. And I got this internship at a, it was like a halfway home for boys and the kids were in high school and it was right, right down the street from where I was going to school. And the kids were there because they did something wrong. They were caught by the man, the, the popo got it. They got arrested and they were involved in the court system. So a lot of these kids committed some type of a violent crime or they were there because they were physically or sexually abused. And basically this program kept them off of the streets between three o'clock and 11 o'clock at night. So they would get picked up and brought to this place. And there were um, like clinical social workers, um, licensed therapists that were working with these boys individually and in groups, talking to them about like overcoming a lot of those self-limiting beliefs, Adam, that you were sharing in the beginning with 75 Hard, and then also trying to pick out the roots of the traumas that they had experienced in their life, because all of them had something significant go on in their life. So I'm there observing these kids go through this. And I was really fascinated with like how the, the counselors were, were interacting with them and just their dynamic as kids that were troubled youth, so to speak. Then I got hired as a van driver. So I was very passively participating. And then they hired me as a van driver. And, and back in this was what, 1999, something like that. Um, they paid me seven bucks an hour to go and pick up this big white van, drive over all over South Jersey and pick these kids up that were like the island of misfit toys from all over South Jersey, bring them back. 
have this counseling session with them and then drive them home at night, you know, afterwards. And slowly but surely, I'm learning some tricks of the trade on how to deal with kids that are going through something significant, all boys. And then what happened was, and as of as you guys are fathers as well, you, you learn a lot about kids on a drive. You learn a lot about what's going on in their life with them, with their right. friend groups when you're driving with kids. And I, I often tell parents a piece of advice is whenever you can stand shoulder to shoulder with your kid when you're experiencing something challenging, when you're having a difficult conversation, it's just something to that dynamic of you're both looking in the same direction. So on these drives home, we're all facing in the same direction. They're able to start opening up to me after a couple months about all the shit that's going on in their life. Things that they're not talking to the clinically trained social workers and psychologists about. They're talking to me, some schmo 21 year old kid who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And then it started turning into, they asked me to take the long way home because we had this little community in the van that they wanted to go and really talk about the stuff that they weren't sharing in the group. And then what started happening was they would take turns being the last one dropped off. So they had an individual counseling session as well. So I would drop the kids off and then take a different route the next time to drop the kids off. And then I'm, I'm having these deep conversations with these kids, giving them advice. And I thought I'm onto something here. There's something going on here that I'm, you know, I, maybe that I have this gift to working with young men. So fast forward, finish my, um, my undergraduate, get a job teaching uh, sixth grade and coaching varsity baseball in central New Jersey. My third day teaching was September 11, 2001 in central Jersey. I got, you know, the kids in my school were significantly impacted by 9-11. And I just saw how scared they were and how like one of the biggest developmental needs that kids have, and I could talk about them at, at some point in the future is, is safety, feeling safe. And the kids were not safe. And I needed to make sure that I was creating a community where these kids felt safe coming to school every single day. So it trumped anything academic that was going on. Like, what can I do to meet their need for safety? So I'm taking this, this idea of what I did as, as a counselor, working with young men, this idea of teaching and you know, understanding the, the developmental needs of kids, especially the need for safety. And I just, I kept developing my own philosophy on how I wanted to work as a teacher. And then in the future, how I wanted to coach young men. And went back, got my master's degree in educational leadership, fast-tracked it. I only taught for about four years and I got a job as an assistant principal in the town where I live in Bordentown currently. And so this is um, September of 2005. I start working as an assistant principal and right away I recognize all the shit I'm dealing with. It was like 90% of my time was with 20 boys. Uh, coming to school late, not coming, getting tossed out of class for dick jokes or whatever, uh, being disrespectful, getting into fights, bullying, you name it. It was the boys getting classified into special education it was a disaster and i'll never forget i had this conversation yesterday with the same school where i was working as the assistant principal with the principal now and i told him he goes well tell me a little bit about the origin of it and i said like he goes why did you actually decide to do it i said well, we had this this night where me and the the school counselor were talking to the parents of seventh and eighth grade kids how do you talk to your kids about sex so we had a night and we, we bring all the parents together. Hey, it's a free workshop. We'll, we'll give you some tricks of the trade to talk to your kids about sex. And while we're in this meeting, and I just went there passively, I wasn't doing much presenting. A parent stands up and she goes, I have a problem. And we're looking around. Okay, well, what's the problem? And she goes, look around this room right now. Every single person here is a parent of a girl. Who the hell is talking to the boys? These boys are running amok. They're wild. They, they feel like they're entitled. She's like, Mr. Moralda, why don't you have a meeting with the boys? Why don't you start a boys group? 
publicly she says this i'm 28 years old i'm thinking you dick i can't believe you just said that like <laughs> give me a break lady but at that time i was i was pissed off it was the best thing that could have possibly happened in my life was this woman calling me out publicly i thought about it and i said you know what she's right someone needs to do something and that person is me i need to do something here so i put it out there hey we're gonna we're gonna start this boys group at first, at first it was just called the boys group and i had almost every single boy in the school join up for this this program there was a girls group that was already going on so they thought all right well we're gonna have our chance to go and bitch about the girls and they thought the boys group was gonna be looking like sitting around smoking cigars drinking whiskey and looking at playboys you know like in their mind this is what it <laughs> what it was gonna look like and so what we did was we we started meeting and we met once a week and i had 10 groups of about 20 boys in each group and the kids would come to school an hour early and it was powerful and one of the first things that i asked them guys was what do you think a man is tell me about it like what are the what are the characteristics of a man and it were things that i believed growing up by my relationship with my father and the three things that they told me were you got to be a better athlete you got to be bigger faster stronger you got to be you got to have the six pack you got to be able to dunk throw the basketball fight whatever it was like a physical dominance the second thing they said was you got to bang the most girls or the hottest girls. So it was like notches on the belt. It was sexual conquest. And then the third thing was um, economic success. It was like you had to have the car, the house, the sneakers, the bling, the this, the that. It was like material things. And what I challenged them to do right then and there was start to redefine what it means to be a man because everything that you told me could potentially be taken away from you. And, and that was where it started. And what we did was we met well, about once every week and once every two weeks um and after one year of the boys being in the program our suspension rate in the school dropped 400 percent in one wow. year and the kids that were a part of the program so the boys their average letter grade and like their gpa went up a half a letter grade for the boys that were in it that, that stuck with it so there was something there and i just decided i i need to just do something with this for my life and, you know, I had several iterations of it and we could get into where it went from there. But that was the origin story of building men. And I just recognize that this is what I was put on this planet to do. That's really cool, man. So it sounds like you were pretty insightful and in tune to a lot of these things pretty early on. I mean, in your early or mid to late 20s, was there any kind of like coaching or, or anything that happened in your life that that made you look more introspectively? Or do you think it was just kind of something that is Dennis Meralda? it's there's a little nature versus nurture thing i think inherently i i've always liked the idea of working with people the coaching aspect helping people become better i always gravitated towards those type of things i gravitated towards leadership positions when i was younger i think a lot of it i alluded to my relationship with my father a lot of it came from unhealthy ideas of what a man was mm. when i told you what the, the boy said what it means to be a man those were things that my father was was um expressing to me as I was a young man. So for him, like I received love or validation when I did well in sports uh, and I was a good athlete. So if I did well, I received some type of, of connection with my father. If I didn't, if I struck out three times up at bat, I fumbled the snap and it cost us the game or I miss a layup. Like I, I got a tongue lashing on the way home, um, like verbal abuse from my old man. And, um, a lot of times, like, as I was growing up there, like I have a couple significant stories if you're interested, but I could, you know, it's, it really taught me what I didn't want to be and what I didn't want to, how I didn't want to live as, as a man. And then eventually as a father and, and someone who's working with young men. 
Yeah, if you don't mind, I mean, if you don't mind digging into one of those stories, I think it'd be great. It might yeah. be helpful to those of us, you know, I'm thinking selfishly as, as I'm a father of, and I think I mentioned this, uh, two young boys that are yeah. eight and six and, you know, obviously want to do whatever I can to put my kids in the best position to succeed. And so I don't know if you have any advice and, and maybe some of those stories could could help. With I'll, that. I'll give you one that'll that'll knock your socks off here. It'll uh, going back. This is 1989. Um, Old Bridge, New Jersey, big big town um i went to a middle school of about 12 or 1300 kids i'm a sixth grade kid um i was super into sports as i mentioned so there were a couple boys up the street older kids they were two years older than me so i'm in sixth grade they're in eighth grade and i spent every day with these kids playing football basketball baseball you name it i'm like i was like that kid that was out in the street until you know your mom is yelling at you because the street lights are on to get the hell in the house and I remember like we did everything together, me and these three boys. It was Frankie, Louie, and Vinny. So it's stereotypical Italian kids from, from Central Jersey back in the <laughs> late 80s. Um, and what happened was I made the middle school baseball team. And so with a, a large school like that, they said it was unheard of for a sixth grader to make the team. Uh, they don't remember the time that that had happened, right? And so I, um, I made the team and these three boys, Frankie, Louie, and Vinny, all got cut from the team. They had tough home lives. And now looking back, I recognize they really didn't have the capacity to deal with something like that emotionally. And, um, and they took their anger out on me. So I was the young kid, um, you know, dorky sixth grade kid who was a good athlete that made the baseball team. And they, they were upset with me. So at first they just stopped talking. It was like ghosting before ghosting was a thing. And I was like, what did I do wrong guys? You know, what happened here? Like, you know, I was happy that I made the team. My father gave me some validation and love because I made the team, but these kids started not talking to me. And then they started to make fun of me. They started to, it was like the stereotypical bullying thing that you would see in like, you know, an Adam Sandler movie, you know, it was like that what I, I was feeling. And, um, then they started to, you know, flick my ear on the bus and push me into the locker and kick me and trip me and things. And I remember being in school and I knew my schedule. I knew where every one of them was going to be every single passing time throughout the whole day. So they're two years older than me, but I knew between period one and period two, I knew where Frankie was. I knew where Louie was. I knew where Vinny was the entire day. And, um, and there were times that we would take the same bus home from school days that I didn't have baseball practice. I would have to get off the bus and haul ass home because if I didn't, they'd catch me. And, and I got my ass kicked about three or four times jumped by these three boys hmm. And never talked to my parents about it. My father was like, you, he told us all these stories about how he was younger and he'd get into fights and how tough he was. And I was a sixth grade kid. I had no idea how to fight. I just took a beating all the time. So there's this one day in, in May of, of uh, 1989, come home from school. There was no practice that day. My father was taking me uh, for batting practice. So he puts me in his, in his work van. We're driving up the street. The boys are in the street playing basketball, Frankie, Lou and Vinny. We drive by and they flip the bird. They're all sitting there and they flip the bird at us. And he looks over at me. He's like, what the hell is this about? I thought you were friends with these kids. What's going on? I'm like, forget it, dad. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Let's just go baseball practice. And I can still remember the pit in my stomach that I was feeling like, like nervous about now this conversation that would, in, you know, eventually happen with my father. So during practice, I'm thinking about it the whole time, like, please take a different route home. Like, I'd like, let's go somewhere else. I hope they're not in the street. Well, we drive by the house and they're still out there playing. And this time, the three of the boys yell out in unison as loud as they can, fuck you, as we're driving past the house. And my father turns and looks at me. We speed into our driveway, like peels in on two wheels. And he says, go upstairs and wait for me. I'll be right back. And now I'm a sixth grade boy. Like, what the hell is about to happen right here? I was so nervous. 
And I'm telling this, this story yesterday to the boys in building men like that in that group. Right. And I still get emotional when I tell this story. So I'm up in my room and I'm like nervous. I'm like, I remember sitting on the floor and like rubbing the carpet and we have traumatic experiences. Like we can viscerally go back to that time in our life and feel what we felt. Right. So I'm sitting there waiting for my father to come in. And finally he comes into the house and he comes into my room and he goes, let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. Oh, and I had that same response. Like I froze, right? The, the response is to stress, fight, flight, freeze. I froze. I could not move. And he says it again. He goes, let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. Louie and Vinny will not jump in. Now I start to shake like tremor. Tears are streaming down my face. And he says it one more time. He like really yells it. Let's go. You're going to go fight Frankie one-on-one. And I don't move. And I'm just shaking my head like I, I can't. And he looks at me. And he goes, they're right. You are a pussy. And he walks out of my room. Oh, man. He doesn't talk to me for like the next month of my life. He just totally ignores me. Like I wasn't even alive. So two minutes after that happens, now I'm just bawling. I'm sitting on my floor crying. And my mom walks into the room. And I'm thinking, you know, as a 12-year-old kid, you're upset. Your mom is there like you expect there to be some level of like compassion, like a hug, something. And I'm thinking, thank God, mom, crying, you know give me a hug. And she just walks in the room. She shakes her head and she goes, you just lost your best friend, your father. And she walks out. So now I'm a 12 year old kid. Who's just, I'm experiencing this traumatic bullying over a long period of time. Like picture like erosion, you know, like how the grand Canyon was created just like over and over and over again. Like these things are happening every single day. And so I'm experiencing that trauma of bullying. And then the trauma of the the moments of my parents, like coming in and like, I'm feeling abandoned now. So it's like the difference of the erosion trauma over a long period of time in that one moment, like an earthquake that shatters the foundation, both do the same type of damage, right? So now I'm a 12-year-old kid thinking like, one, I have no idea what it means to be a man. My role model basically called me a pussy. And now I'm like, I'm telling myself the story that I am a coward and I will not stand up for myself and I let people down. And I, I live with that narrative for a long, long time. So once I got into the, the idea of, of building men, I recognize like, what if I had someone in my life that was there to help me through that difficult situation, to talk to me, to let me know, like, it's okay that you're scared right now. It's okay to feel vulnerable in this situation. Like, let's normalize that. And then what did I, what did I need for my father? I needed him to say like, listen, this sucks, man. Like, this is really challenging. What can I do to help you out here? What would make this easier for you? Do you want to take boxing lessons? Do you want to, you know, let's go to the gym and start training together. Like something like that, instead of basically saying, you're not good enough to be my son. And it, it, that, that had a really significant impact. We all have our stories, right? That was my story. That was the origin story of building men before it actually came into, into fruition many, many years later. But when I look back, that was something that really set the course of my life in a direction. I'm really happy that it happened now, like looking back, because had that not happened, I don't know if I would have had the idea to do something like I'm doing right now with building men. Hmm. That's great, man. Can you talk a little bit now about what building men looks like these days, what you're doing? Sure. I, um, so right now I am, um, I, my, my younger brother, Anthony, who I mentioned before, um, he partners up with me from time to time, but what I'll do is I, I coach individual clients. I work with kids in a one-on-one capacity. Most of the kids are late middle school into high school. So kids, you know, 12, 13 to 18 years old along those lines. Um, So I do have, I I try to keep it like right around 10 to 12 clients just so I give them enough, you know, 
time and effort and, and dedicate time to them. Um, and then I have uh, a, a virtual community called the Foundation. And so this community meets every two weeks, Sunday afternoons, it's four Eastern time and for a full year. And what I do is we have uh, regular scheduled group meetings. I have about 25 or 30 kids in the group right now, and it's a, a ongoing enrollment. So it's like if kids want to join up in May and June and August, whatever, they can just come and join the group. It's going to keep going. But um, we have 12 pillars, basically, of, of masculinity. And each month we dive deep into one of the pillars. And so I'll, I'll see if I can remember them in alphabetical order. It's, um, it's accountability, authenticity, commitment, courage, confidence. Uh, there's another C in there. Um, we talk about integrity, humility, respect, resiliency, uh, self-discipline. And so each month there's one of these really big ideas about what it means to be a man. And then we have 12 healthy habits. And so month one, we talked about the importance of sleep. For kids, it's like so cool to get one, two hours of sleep because they were up on TikTok until three in the morning, right? So we talk, we really talk about the science behind sleep. Next month will be hydration. So Adam, you mentioned the whole thing of like drinking a gallon of water, taking a piss. Like kids are drinking monsters and four locos and shit like that. And right. they're not getting hydrated properly, right? So month two is about hydration. Month three is about movement. Month four is about breath and the importance of our breath to anchor. We're going to talk about... Um, intentional discomfort we're going to talk about the the importance of journaling and writing things down the importance of reading um men that have gone before that are, that are really important and impactful so uh each meeting is about an hour and a half and i bring on one or two guest mentors each meeting and so these are guys that i've had on the podcast that are just badass human beings that'll come on for about 15 20 minutes and i'll do a little um interview with the guys asking them for a piece of advice for the young men. And then I open it up to question and answers from the boys. And so the, these boys are now talking to guys like Nick Santanastaso, who will be a, who will be a guest on there. They're talking to guys like Cal Callahan and Brian Reeves and Angelo Cisco and Akshay Nanavate. And there's like these guys that are just really, really impactful human beings are coming on, you know, lending their time to inspire and to motivate and to give pieces of advice to young men. So it's a really impactful group. And so that that's like the thing that I'm doing virtually. And then I'm going into schools as well. So schools will contact me and I go in and I, I could either do like a one-off assembly program or establish a building men group with a school. Mm -hmm. And what I'll do is it's like a gradual release of responsibility. I'll go in, I will run um, several meetings, me going in and running or me and my brother going in and running the, the groups. And then basically giving our playbook over to their staff. Like, okay, take this and run with this now. Um, because for me, you know, it's not about me getting rich, making money. It's about what can I do to, you know, greatly impact the next generation because boys need this. They do. And so if I could go in and help a school, school get started and, you know, we'll see a, a big difference in what's going on in the world in another decade. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Like I, I was just thinking about myself and how great that would have been to have something like that. And then part of me thinks what I actually have been open to actually receiving yeah. all that you have to offer. So I'm, but, but also like thinking about it as a parent, how, how great having something like that is for the kids. And, and honestly, having somebody other than your parents try mm -hmm. to teach the kids these things. Cause a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of kids are like, yeah, whatever, dad, I'm not going to listen to dad. But if they have somebody like Dennis Miralda who played college baseball and maybe they respect him and he's a fun guy telling him about, 
how it's important to sleep and drink water that you might hit them differently you know so that's that's pretty cool man thank you absolutely it's one of those things like when i would coach my own son in baseball like i would tell him something but the other coach would tell him the same thing and be like oh guess what keith just told me to do with my fingers when i'm I told you that 15 times, but it's hearing it from that different voice. And I do think young men need other men in their life as that voice of authority. Um, I think one of the things that's missing right now is, is boys that are growing up, young men seeing grown men interact and, and discuss things and talk about things on a deep level. And I think one of the problems is men are not doing that as much anymore. You know, men are, they're pretty much isolated or they get involved in a relationship and their whole life is, you know, just their wife and they don't have those, those positive male social groups or the social groups are like let's go out play cornhole and get banged up and watch the giants right which is great to have that but you know it doesn't go any deeper than that so there's a lot of surface level shit that's going on so boys are not seeing men have those conversations about real things and i'm all about intentionality with parenting and then with coaching so think about the things that you want your kids to learn and how are they going to see you do those things so when you think about rites of passage for kids you know, I do believe there's like some physical rites of passage, right? Like, so, you know, learning how to tie a tie, learning how to change a tire, uh, you know, doing something, going on a hike or doing like a 75 part challenge for a boy, like going through something physical where they, they see that they did something that they thought they were incapable of doing before, but even more so rites of passage emotionally or conversationally. Um, I mentioned to you guys that I'm coaching a kid right now and, you know, he's having an issue with a girl. So how do boys know how to have romantic relationships and conversations that they might have to have? So say, how does a boy learn how to break up with a girl? Like, who, what do they learn? Who teaches them that? No one. They just like figured out like, okay, I'm just going to stop talking to her or right. I'm going to go bang Brittany. And that'll, you know, that'll show, show my old girlfriend that I'm not interested in her anymore. So how do boys understand how to do that? Well, they need to get taught how to do that. They need to go through those conversations uh, to practice it. How does a boy learn how to ask for a raise, right? Like we mm -hmm. need to, to have those, like teach them how to have those difficult conversations. So I'm all about the physical rites of passage, but I'm also about like, how do you intentionally put your kids in situations where they learn how to have difficult conversations? How do they learn how to share their emotions in a productive, positive way? Things that I never learned how to do. And I failed at all of these things. I failed at every single one, you know, in my adult years, because I didn't have a mentor or a role model that told me how to do these things. So I just, I went into it blindly and I failed and failed and failed until I recognized you got to change up what you're doing if you're going to be successful. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I mean, we're all dads here. You know how fast time goes. You can have the best intentions in the world as a dad to have all of these conversations and, and, and teach your kids how to change a tire and this and that and the other. And then all of a sudden, three years goes by and, and time just slipped away and you haven't had all those conversations. So I guess, is there any like methods that you can share or that you practice to say, hey, we set aside a time one hour a week or, or something like that to, to help us parents stay on task to really make sure we're we're doing right by our kids? Yeah, Adam. So I just did this post. Um, I got more comments on this post on Instagram than probably 10 other posts combined. And it was really simple post, but it was more provocative. And it said, the stat is, the average young man, so picture middle into high school, spends 30 minutes a week in one-on-one -on -one conversation with a father or adult male role model, 30 minutes on average per week in, in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Conversely, that same boy spends 
44 hours a week playing video games, watching Jesus. television, or, or scrolling through social media. 90 times more passively watching a screen rather than having an in-depth conversation with a parent or a, an adult male role model, right? Most boys are in school and they're not, they're not having conversations with male teachers even because most of the teachers, it's more than 75% of teachers, K-12, are female. So most boys are, are having conversations with females. And then even those one-on-one -on -one conversations are very quick and most of the time they're very shallow. So one thing is as a parent, be really intentional about time that you're spending having conversations with your kids. For me, it's like power hour, power off hour, nighttime, the, we're eating dinner together, the phone is off. Not just away, off, turn it off. You know, if there's something that we need to do, we'll, we'll turn on the phone in an hour and, and have those conversations then. Shut down the phone for an hour. So I know right then and there, an hour during dinner and our dinner is like, we'll, we'll eat for 15 minutes. And then it's 45 minutes of us talking. And usually with my kids, one of us will bring up something. And so it'll be a, would you rather, or it'll be, um, my, my daughter just asked us the other day, like, what was the most, uh, what was the most challenging thing that you've done this week? And my other daughter will say, okay, the next night, what, what superpower would you want to have? And that will lead down a couple different routes. Um, so there's a million different things that you can find as like discussion starters, but don't just sit there, wolf down the food in front of the TV, watching Netflix or watching the game. You have seven hours a week during dinner to do that, do that. And then more importantly, as the parent, especially as a father, get off your damn phone. You know, if your kid is talking to you about something, put the phone down, put it away. You hear cats in the cradle playing over and over in your head when you realize that's going to end one day. Yeah. If you're not present in those conversations, the kids are finally going to be like, you know what? Screw you. I'm not going to have this conversation with you because you're not invested in, in what, I'm, what I have to say right now. So you need to lead your family in that way. If you're listening to this and you have kids, like be that example. So spend that time. Think about things you can do with intentionality with your kids. I think we can use that anywhere in life, right? Yeah, I, I, I know I find that I, I get distracted way too easily with the phone and in, in a lot of my conversations. and takes away from it uh and my kids are the first ones to point it out so it's a good thing yeah absolutely what um I, i'm wondering going back to your practice you 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 do coaching one-on-one -on -one, but what about like i assume if, if somebody hires you to be their coach one-on-one -on -one, it's already a family that is may they could use obviously your help in, in building them up but there's i'm thinking about the kids who you helped out at the at the program when you were in college originally that they really need a strong man to help them look how how do you give back in that way how how uh, now because i know that's hard to make it work yeah. financially but absolutely and we need that a lot right the, 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 a lot of the kids that i'm coaching right now they they the parents have the resources to hire me to work with their kids right like a dedicated hour every single week and not everyone has that same thing Right. What I'll do is like, and I've done this, I have never turned a kid down. If there's a kid that needs to talk, I'm there to talk to them. Sure. So if it's, even if it's a half hour or 45 minutes, and then what I can do is while I might not be able to invest that like consistent hour every single week, we'll find a way to communicate with one another. Like I'm informally coaching about 20 kids right now where I'll, you know, I'll have a, co a quick conversation with them and then like, Hey, listen, if this happens, shoot me a quick text message or send me an email and I'll, I'll read through it and I'll give you a piece of advice back. Because I don't want to turn those kids away. It's almost like I need to set a little bit harder boundary for myself because I'm letting I'm letting a lot of those kids in because it's they need someone, 
right? And of course. If, if, if I yeah. can be that someone, then I, then I feel like it's my responsibility to do so. What I also do is for the foundation, um, I have a couple of kids that were gifted, quote unquote, a scholarship to it, um, nice. where somebody was like, listen, I have a kid that would really benefit from this program. They don't have the financial resources. I charge 47 bucks a month for the program. Um, they can't afford it right now uh, or their yeah. parents can afford it. Can I pay for that kid? And, you know, if they're willing to do that, sure, that that would work. And there's a there's another kid that I'm like, you don't have to pay anything. Just just come just be there just because yeah. I think it's that that impactful and that important. So, again, I'm not I'm not in it to to make a killing or to make a ton of money. Um, but I do think there is a piece of it that you pay attention when you pay for something. You know, yeah. when there is that financial investment. You will pay a little bit more attention to it. If the parents know, like I just paid forty seven dollars for this, you know, Sunday afternoon, make sure that you're in front of the screen right now. So um, that's that's how I, I fall in that area. If there is a kid that, that needs assistance, I don't ever say, no, I won't talk to that kid. I'm, I'm there to talk to them. That's great. Yeah. Now, as far as the schools you're helping, um, are those all pretty close to where you live in New Jersey? Or do you have a way to help people around the country somehow? Um, so right now, the ones that I'm going in in person, they are geographically located in new jersey yeah i'm not opposed to going out into another area it would like what i would do is work with the school to create something um where it might be like a like four times during the year like i would come out and spend like two or three days there um help them set something up and then be available for zoom meetings uh during the course of the year uh, but right now the things that i'm you know the schools that i'm working with are geographically located in in new jersey that's pretty cool. Hmm. And you find a lot of schools are, are open to work with you and, and welcoming. just recently, you really just, just recently for a while schools were like, well, you know, um, we can't bring you in because we need to do something for the girls and for the LGBTQ population. And I'm like, yeah, you do, <laughs> you know, like you do need to do that. You be, right. uh, it's important. It's not me, girls, but you do need, right. To do I'm that, not the right. person that's going to do a girls group. Right. But you should do that. You should absolutely do something like that. What I can do is I can help the young men in the school. And as the young men go in the school, goes the school, in my opinion, if, mm -hmm. the, if the boys in the school are, they're behaved in a proper way, they're accountable, they're, um, they understand the dynamic of what they're doing in the school. The school is, it, it operates in a different way. If the kids are assholes and they're running around, they're getting into fights left and right, because it's boy, the boys that are typically getting in trouble, That's then right. the school has a different feeling to it. It's a totally different school. So if you can get the boys under control, the school will be under control. So I, I tell teachers like, start there. Like, what can you do to help the kids become connected to what's going on? The kids need to feel a part of a community. They have to feel, they'll, they'll find that community in one way, shape, or form. Right. Can you intentionally set up that community for kids, right? Children need to be known. It's one of the things that we know about kids. They need to feel that. And I mentioned before the idea of safety, one of the developmental needs for kids. That's the, that's the, that's the base. That's like the, the, the solid foundation you need to feel safe. But the other developmental needs that I, I've identified working with kids, the need for autonomy, to feel like their voice is a part of the space, that their opinion matters. You might not always take their opinion and run with it, but at least they feel like they can have their voice there, right? They can talk about something. The need for competence, to feel like they're good at doing things. And through that feeling good at doing things creates confidence, right? So like, what can we do to provide opportunities to um, to show kids that they are competent in doing things. The need for fun. Boys need to have adventures. They need to have fun. They need to do things physically, right? And then the need for relationships. And if we're able to set up a structure where we're meeting their needs for autonomy, competence, fun, relationship, safety, 
and we're doing it in a community and we're talking about those character pillars, man, I'll tell you what, like that's what school should be working at. You know, it's great that a kid can name all the Spanish speaking countries in the world and their capitals. That's wonderful. Uh, but you know what I would say, I would rather spend the time helping kids understand what it means to be a good man, because yeah. if they can understand that, they'll figure out the capital of El Salvador. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. You know, um, do you find differences? You, like I'm, I'm thinking is I'm almost categorizing boys into two, right? One is kind of like the predator bully type. And then one's more like a victim type. And I'm just kind of going back to your, um, your story versus the ones you helped out before do you do you find that there's different strategies for the two the, the two right like to to help them combat that and and if so what are they when, when you first started there's well one they're both hurting in in one way shape or form right there's there's sure. there's hurt on both sides the way that the bully has dealt with it based on his upbringing his DNA makeup is the fight response, right? So he's getting that need met. And yeah. it's one of those needs. He's the, the bully is not is not getting in the need met for his voice being out there in the space. So maybe at home, he's getting knocked around mm. a little bit. So he's not feeling safe. And he's not feeling like he could speak his his mind. So if those needs are it's like identifying what are the needs that are missing for that kid? And then how can I fill in the gap there? One thing that we're and then the victim mentality thing, like, I under I was I was the victim of bullying when I was growing up, right? right? But also what I start to do is really identify the victim mentality. So it's like thinking that your um the 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 um actions of other people will always impact you. So it's always someone else's fault. Well, they did this, my mom didn't love me, but like mm -hmm. it once you can separate yourself and decide that you can either be the victim or you can be the architect of what happens to you. So if there's kids that are more victimized, I will say what you've gone through is not okay. Like you shouldn't have had to go, go through that. It sucks. It's not your fault that you experienced it, but it's your responsibility to deal with it, right? It's, it's not, no one else is going to be able to get through my bullying story other than me. So it's not your fault. It's your responsibility. And then I take it a step further and I say, it's your privilege now to overcome that because now you can take your pain and make it into a purpose. And so what can you do there? Right. So that's, that's how I deal with those, with those situations. And then, you know, recognizing that the kids, they just need that safe space. They need to be able to talk and work through those things. And a lot of the bullies themselves, like Frankie, Louie and Vinny, there was some shit going on in their homes that they weren't able to talk about. And so what do they do? They took it out on the little sixth grader who wasn't able to stand up for himself. Yeah. You ever talk to either of those three anymore <laughs> these days? It's so funny when I do that, when I talk about that in a school, that's the first thing they're like, well, did you kick their asses? <laughs> and so I went from like in sixth grade, say I was like five, five, you know, um, like 120 pounds or something like that, 130 pounds. By the time I got to my, my freshman, sophomore year in high school, I'm six, four and I'm like oh, wow. a buck 80. And it was like those old milk commercials where the kid's drinking milk over the summer and he runs into the bullies and he's like, pardon me, boys, you know, or something like that. <laughs> that was me when I got into high school. I, you know, physically grew a lot. And by that time, it was like Frankie, Louie and Vinny, they were like five, nine. They stayed five, nine for the rest of their lives. Like that was they never. So I, I never had the like, I'm going to meet you under the bleachers and kick your ass moment. But there was there were like with nonverbal communication, like there were times that I like walked up to them and like stared them down like i was like 
just so you know that that's never going to happen again to me. Um, so I did, I was able to have that, that moment. Now, if I look back, I want to like go and hug those kids and be like, dude, like (laughs) what's going on here? Like, what can I do to help you out right now? Because what you're doing is not okay. You've experienced some trauma in your life. Let me help you through it. Yeah. But one other question, do you ever work with the fathers? There's, there's three kids that I'm coaching where I coach the the kid and the dad. Mm. I'll do it like one week with the kid, one week with dad. Um, that's really fascinating work right there because it, like they're, the relationship has been broken in some capacity. But when I work with kids, what I do is I'll do like an intake meeting with the parents. Like, okay, tell me about what's going on with the kid developmentally, what's going on in school, social life. And then I ask the parents questions about themselves. Like, okay, tell me about you a little bit. Like, let me get to understand what's going on here. Then I meet with the kid. The, the toughest thing is getting the kid on that first meeting. It's like, this is bullshit. I don't need to talk to nobody. I don't need a therapist. I'm fine. And I tell the parents, listen, if, if the kid doesn't want to meet with me after two meetings, I'll refund your money. You know, no worries. I, I don't want to put them through anything that they want to go through. And I've offered that for the last two years and I've never had anyone take me up on it. Like I, once I start working with the kids and getting them in there, in there, they stay. So what I do is I'll have like four sessions with the kids and then I meet with the parents again and I have another meeting with the parents. Okay. And I don't break the kid's trust. What I tell the kid is what's said here stays here unless you're doing something that's a danger to yourself or to other people, you know? So whatever, you, I don't care what weird shit you're into, like, talk to me about it. Like, I will help you through it. But unless it's, unless you're saying like, I'm cutting myself or I'm taking, you know, I'm, I'm smoking weed and driving to school or whatever, mm-hmm. then it stays between us. If, if it's your danger to self or others, I'll tell your parents about it. And then in the meeting with the parents, what I'll do is I'll share with some, just some ideas that I have. I'll also say to the kids, is there anything that you want me to talk to your parents about? Is there anything that you want me to help bridge that gap? And a lot of times, like the dad thinks one thing and the mom thinks another thing, and they're arguing about how to raise their kid. And I'm like, okay, let's try to get more into the middle here. There's a couple things that I could help you navigate these difficult conversations. I mean, I've worked with thousands and thousands of kids over the last 20 years that are in that you know teenage age range. So I could give mm-hmm. the advice to the parents that can help them navigate those situations. Um, so I will... I'll, I'll work. I, there's a couple that, um, Louis, that I'll work with the dad specifically, but in those other situations, like I'll, I offer advice to the parents on a, you know, it's like a bi-monthly basis. Hmm. Right. That's great. So this has been super interesting. We could probably keep going forever, but for the sake of time here, um, there's four questions we like to ask every guest near the end of the show that we're calling the wayfinder Four. so if you're open to it, we'd like to yeah. dive into those real quick. Yeah. Rock and roll. All right, man. First one is what is one hack that you use in your daily life? Um, I downloaded this app called brain.fm. Huh. And it was a game changer for me. So what it is, is there's um, different categories in the app and it's uh, work, like focus, um, sleep, meditate, and something else. I forget what the last one was. Um, but the focus part of it, what the app does is on our our headphones when I'm doing like deep intentional work, shut everything else off. So if I'm, if I'm doing work on like the podcast or I'm doing something, the, the app, the, the, the sounds of the app match your brainwave brainwaves when you're doing deep work, when you're doing creative work, when you're doing like lighter work. And so what it does is it takes about five minutes for you to, your brain to sync up to it. But all of a sudden, like, it mitigates all other distractions and you get into this like flow state of work. 
and huh. it was it's fascinating to me I, I didn't believe that this would have worked but it's worked so well like I, now i'm coaching kids and i'm like i'll buy this app for you so you can do it wow. just trust me like my son is writing his college entrance essays and he comes to me he's like dad you know i'm having a tough time with it i can't like whatever and i'm like well what are you doing i'm like talk to me about the process he's like well i have my computer open and i have a like a google doc open you know i have youtube i'm listening to music and i'm playing video games in my spare time like he has all these different things going on i'm like do it your way for a half hour and then come back and i'll show you a different way to do it and try it my way and i'm like you know like take this the headphones do it this way and see what happens and he came back he's like what a game changer he's like oh my god i got the whole thing written i feel like totally locked into what i'm doing so that's my hack it's like it's really changed how i i work when i'm doing intentional work because you think about it as you're working the little things that distract you notifications on your phone or let me check my email and then i do some more work i get another email let me respond to that email oh wait my wife just texted me or whatever every single time that happens it's called cognitive switch tax and your mind has to catch up to whatever you were doing again it takes about 60 seconds so if you're doing that seven, eight times an hour, you're, you're losing half the hour doing work, just switching back and forth between things. And this helps mm-hmm. you stay locked into what you're doing. Wow. And you said it's brain FM? Brain.fm. Yep. It's Definitely like, going to have to check that pay, one out. It's like six bucks for the app. Huh? It's hmm. worth it. That might uh, be yeah. the most interesting hack we've heard yet. Like I'm, I'm psyched to try that one out. Yeah. So um, Dennis, give us a, a favorite be a book movie play something you like to do favorite well i mean i'm i'm hardcore training right now i'm i got i'm addicted to spartans oh yeah my first spartan i'm doing i'm gonna do another spartan and so right now i'm in like the training process for the spartan so um like the the competitive piece of of doing something to push yourself but We'll, we'll have a building men team that's going to do this Spartan, the next Spartan. Um, oh, cool. So that's something that I, I just, I'm, I'm in love with that right now. Um, more of like a tangible thing, the uh, Beyond Order by Jordan Peterson. I'm such a huge fan of Peterson. Uh, his first book is The 12 Rules of Life and um, like Balancing Order and Chaos. And then the second one is, um, it's Beyond Order. This is the book right here. If you're doing the video, it's like highly, highly recommend this book. Um, and I, it's net and I, I have the, the hard copy and I also listen to it on audible. And I just, I, he's my man crush. He's the guy, he's like my big white whale to have on the, uh, on the podcast one day. Nice, man. Okay. So this is probably an extra interesting question with your background, but what is a piece of advice you would give your 25 year old self? If you could go back in time. 25. Oh, wow. I mean, I like there's a piece of advice that I would give to like the, the middle school me, like don't right. worry about what other people think. Go for it. And we can um, go with that. Go ahead. Yeah, I that. mean, that's because if, if it was my 25 year old self, I'd be like, listen, you just married your father. So beware about <laughs> it. That's going to really derail your life over the next 15 years. Um, if it were to my younger self, yeah. I would I would say. Don't like other people's opinions of you have nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. Stop worrying so much about what you think other people are thinking about you. One, most people are not thinking about you. Most people are, are not spending their time thinking about you. So don't fucking worry about that shit. I was worried about what people thought after that bullying story. I was so conscious of making other people happy and wanting to be liked by people that I was not living an authentic life. It was totally the opposite. I was very seeker of approval. People pleasy thing was going on in my life for a long period of time. So if I can go back and shake myself and say, listen, like you're a badass, like you're going to change the world. 
believe in yourself and do not worry what other people think about you. It's such a burden that you could lift off of your shoulders when you stop worrying about that. Mm. That's good. Dennis, what is something that, um, what, what, that you think keeps people from being happy? I think it's, it's using happiness as the destination. Mm. I think people are, well, if I can just get to Friday night, I'm going to be happy. If I can make it to the long weekend on Memorial Day, I'm going to be happy. Just get, just get me to summer break and I'll be happy. If we get the countertop of the car, I'll be happy. Go on the vacation, I'll be happy. It's bullshit. Like, here's the thing. Happiness is a, it's a, it's a fleeting thing that happens. It's not, it's, you know, you, you appreciate these moments, but recognize what you need to do is find joy in the journey. It's, it's really understanding that like that you're find joy in the day to day, find joy in, in waking up in the morning and listening to the birds outside your window, find joy in seeing a sunrise or a sunset, find joy in like, uh, Louis, you mentioned those conversations with your kids with the, like find joy in those things. And if you're finding joy in those little moments, the the big things that happen every once in a while, it's like, oh, that's icing on the cake right now. I don't need to wait just for Christmas for me to be happy or for, you know, if I get the raise, then that's going to make all the difference in the world. Because here's the thing, none of that does. If it's the shiny object that you're chasing to find happiness, you're always going to be chasing something. Because once you get it, and if it's the thing, it's going to leave a, a void during the chase. And you're going to look for the bigger thing and the next thing to make you happy. So it's, and I just coined that right now. I like that. Find joy in the journey. I love that. I like that a lot. So Dennis, if people want to get a hold of you or they want to just follow along, find out more about building men, where do they go? Thanks for the, uh, for the opportunity for the, for the quick plug guys. I, this is awesome. Yeah. I really, really appreciate you guys reaching out to me and having me on the show. Um, oh yeah. We awesome really job. Like just the interview style was like cool and comfortable. I just wanted to just tell you how much I appreciate both of you. Um, to get to know you here today. And so uh, to find Building Men, our website is buildingmen.io. And on that, you can find out information about coaching, about workshops that I can do in schools um, or with organizations. And then the foundation, there's a way to sign up for the foundation on the website. And then I'm the most active on Instagram. It's building.men on Instagram. Um, cool. It's pretty cool. Yesterday morning, uh, Julie, she's a labor and delivery nurse. Julie's my girlfriend. She She texts me. She's like, you just got a blue check next to your name on Instagram. And I was like, oh, wow. what? She's like, yeah, you got it. I was like, what does that mean? And you know, like, I, I don't know how that happened. I have no freaking clue how that happened. So my kids are like celebrating. Like it's, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, I guess like, you know, it means that people are listening to what I'm doing and, you know, following along and engaging. So Instagram is where I'm the most active right now. And, um, you know, I, I'll answer if you send me an email through the website or on, uh, on Instagram, I get back to people within a day. Perfect. We will link all that stuff in the show notes. And then Absolutely. as I mentioned earlier, he's got a podcast. Your podcast is called Building Men, correct? Building Men. Yeah, we're in the top 1% of podcasts in the world right now. We're getting about 6,000 downloads a week, which is pretty freaking cool, cool man. Wow. Um, it's grown a lot since its inception where it was me in a microphone, you know, fumbling over what I was going to say and reading it off a script. And I just enjoy those conversations it's just with a lot of interesting men. And I've had some I'm a handful of women on the show as well. And um, it's given advice to, you know, teenager boys and their parents on, yeah. you know, what to do, what not to do. Or even like a lot of the listeners are like, like Adam, like having kids that are eight years old and six years old, like, all right, yeah. what can I do right now to make sure that I have them on the right path before? Or even Louie, like you got 
you know, a 17 year old and a 15 year old, like, what do I need to worry about? Like, what are the, the shit that the boys are going to be knocking on my door for in the future? You know, when you're sitting on the, yeah. on the rocking chair with a shotgun as kids are coming up to your front porch. Right. Yeah. You know, I, on that note, Dennis, I really want to thank you, not just for being on the show, but for just building great men, you know, uh, for, at probably the most challenging time. I know my girls, uh, my youngest is just wrapping up middle school and, um, I, I think the middle school years in particular are probably the roughest time. The boys are the craziest mm-hmm. <laughs> at that time. And I know I was uh, the boys that were in class with my girls were. Uh, so I really, really, really want to thank you as a dad of of girls for, for doing what you're doing. And if you can figure out how to scale this uh, all across the country, across the world I, um, more, because we need more of it. Um, I think we, we have a crisis in this country with how we're raising men. Great. And um and I think you're, you're doing, a, you know, a small part to really change that. So I'm really grateful for you for that and for being thank on you. the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. So thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.